Welcome to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Every year for the past several years, my December show has been excerpts from the National Day of Mourning, held at Plymouth, Massachusetts, on so-called Thanksgiving Day. It's usually an international day, in fact. In a ceremony organized by the United American Indians of New England, only indigenous folks speak about what they've lost, what they're still fighting for, and to celebrate their cultures and languages. Someone always reads a letter from indigenous political prisoner Leonard Peltier. The event happened this year with mandatory mask wearing due to COVID, but I knew it would be impossible to maintain physical distance, so I watched it online, which was a first for them. I thought the recording turned out pretty well. The crowd was smaller but still substantial, and the weather was a balmy 60 degrees, although it happens every year regardless of the weather, which can be awful. It began on Coles Hill, next to the statue of Wampanoag Confederacy Sachem, or leader, Massasoit, with a woman doing a beautiful welcome ceremony to the four directions, blowing a conch shell each time she pivoted. The first speaker was Keisha James, granddaughter of the man who started it all, Wamsutta Frank James, a member of the Aquina tribe of Gayhead. He was invited by the Massachusetts governor to give a speech in 1970 in honor of the 350th anniversary of the arrival of the Pilgrims. His speech told it like it was, enslavement, broken treaties, and land stolen by the settlers. So he wasn't able to deliver that speech at the celebration. Organizers said since the theme was brotherhood, it would be out of place. So he gave it to a different group on Thanksgiving, on Coles Hill. That became the first day of mourning. Keisha James read her grandfather's speech to mark the 51st consecutive commemoration of the day of mourning. After the speeches, everyone marched to significant sites around town, including Plymouth Rock, next to the harbor. It's actually very small. I always pictured it looking like the Prudential Rock. That's usually followed by a big communal dinner, but organizers canceled that due to COVID this year. It was unfortunate that the event was scaled back because the indigenous people of the U.S. scored some important victories that would have been wonderful to celebrate together, such as the removal of many Columbus statues and the rising awareness among non-native peoples of the struggles they are confronting. There was also the cancellation of at least two fossil fuel pipelines through indigenous lands to celebrate. I hope you enjoy and learn from sharing this wonderful day. That first day of mourning in 1970 was a powerful demonstration of Native unity. It has continued for all these years as a powerful demonstration of Indigenous unity and of the unity of all people who speak truth to power. Sadly, many of the conditions that prevailed in Indian country in 1970 still prevail today. In 1970, our average life expectancy was just 44 years. Today, it is up but for Native men, it is still six years below that of white people. Native women's death rate has increased 20% over the past 15 years. In 1970, the average Native yearly income was $4,347. In 2019, 20% of Native people still earned under $5,000 per year. 
1970, our suicide and infant mortality rates were among the highest in the country. This has not changed. We all know that racism is alive and well. All of us are struggling under the oppression of a capitalist system which forces people to make a bitter choice between heating and eating. We will continue to gather on this hill until corporations and the U.S. military stop polluting the earth, until we dismantle the brutal apparatus of mass incarceration. We will not stop until the oppression of our two-spirit siblings is a thing of the past. When unhoused people have homes, when children are no longer taken from their parents and locked in cages, when the Palestinians reclaim the homeland and the autonomy Israel has denied them for the past 70 years, when no person goes hungry or is left to die because they have little or no access to quality health care, when insulin is free, when union busting is a thing of the past, until then, the struggle will continue. In 1970, we demanded an end to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. It is still a demand today. Native nations should not need federal oversight to govern ourselves or take control of our own lands. I hope you will stand with the Mashpee as Mashpee continues to be under threat in the waning days of the vicious Trump administration. As we did in 1970, we mourn the loss of millions of our ancestors and the devastation of our land, water, and air. We condemn all acts of violence and terrorism perpetrated by all governments and organizations against innocent people worldwide. Since the invasion of Columbus and the rest of the Europeans, Native people have been virtually non-stop victims of terrorism. From the colonial period to the 21st century, this has entailed torture, massacres, systematic military occupations, and the forced removals of indigenous peoples from their ancestral homelands. Let us not forget that this country was founded on the ideology of white supremacy, the widespread practice of African slavery, and a policy of genocide and land theft. Let us not forget that under the pipelines, skyscrapers, mines, and the oil rigs lie the interned bones, sacred objects, and villages of our native ancestors. On our program will be only indigenous speakers. This is one day when we speak for ourselves without non-native people, so-called experts, intervening to interpret and speak for us. Today, on liberated territory, we will correct the history of a country that continues to glorify butchers such as Christopher Columbus, that makes slave-owning presidents such as Washington and Jefferson into godlike figures, and even carves their faces into the sacred black hills of the Lakota. In 1970, very few people would have given any thought to the fact that indigenous people of this hemisphere do not look upon the arrival of the European invaders as a reason to give thanks. Today, many thousands stand with us in spirit as we commemorate the 2020 National Day of Mourning. In the spirit of Crazy Horse, in the spirit of Medicom, in the spirit of Geronimo, above all, to all people who fight and struggle for real justice, we are not banishing, we are not conquered, we are as strong as ever. That was Keisha Kinimilasha James. My name is Matoi Monroe, and I'm the co-leader of United American Indians of New England. It's raining a little bit today. It may rain more, and it's so beautiful to see everyone who still came out today. 
Greetings to those of you who are here with us in Plymouth today for the 50th anniversary of National Day of Mourning. And we warmly welcome those of you who are watching the live stream too. And we thank Sunny Singh and all the other technical people who have made this happen because it's been really complicated and they made it seem really easy. Here we are, deep in the heartland of colonialism. Here we are at a place where great dying occurred, overlooking a harbor where Wampanoag, Nipmuc, Massachusetts, and other indigenous captives were shipped off as slaves. Let's take a moment to think about those who are no longer with us. Our elders leave us and they take so much knowledge with them when they do. It makes us feel lonely to be without them. But we also feel our ancestors here beside us, holding us up today. We pray for those who cannot be here with us today, for all of the people and communities hit hard by COVID, especially indigenous and black and Latinx communities with much higher rates of hospitalizations and deaths. We think of all the indigenous people throughout this hemisphere who are being swept away by this horrible disease from British Columbia to Dineta to Brazil. As of yesterday, the hard hit Navajo Nation has had more than 15,000 positive cases and 638 deaths. Many other communities are suffering tremendously. Our people all too often lack basic resources, clean water for washing, decent health care, and other things that would help to reduce the amount of sickness and death. But indigenous people are largely trapped under governments that do not care about our future and fail to take the necessary steps to make sure we are all protected. When Native nations ask for government help, they may be sent body bags instead of much needed supplies, or the bureaucrats want to fight over sending relief money to tribes. To the settler governments, the saying, the only good Indian is a dead Indian, seems to remain true to this day. We think today of the many people and allies who are unable to be here with us. Juan and Rosalba, who normally do our opening ceremony, are staying in Maya homelands because of the difficulties in traveling during the pandemic. Munanam James, my co-leader, is not here today. He has been in the hospital for a few weeks, and I would ask for all of you to do a shout out to him right now so that he'll be able to hear it on the recording. <laughs> Others are not here because they're in quarantine or at high risk or are caring for sick family members. This is a difficult year. The epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, and two-spirits continues. Yesterday brought devastating news about a local missing Mashpee Wampanoag team, teen, Jalasia Finkley, whose body was believed to have been found in Florida. And today we offer our deepest condolences to her family and her community. We acknowledge the many struggles that all of you have carried here today from the many efforts to stop pipelines and the Weymouth compressor station, to the ongoing work to free Puerto Rico, 
to the attempted desecration of sacred Mauna Kea by scientists who lack respect for indigenous sacred places to occupied Palestine. And we say loudly, here and now and forever, Black Lives Matter. Our speakers today will reflect some of the struggles that indigenous peoples are leading and involved in. We begin with a speak out here on Coles Hill, then we'll march to Post Office Square for a brief rally and on down to Plymouth Rock where we'll have a final rally. Following that, there will be many pre-recorded messages to listen to from other struggles and I'll tell you more about that later. Defending tribal sovereignty is certainly as much an issue today as it was at the original National Day of Mourning in 1970. Native nations continue to have their sovereignty and land rights denied and infringed upon regardless of whether the tribal nations have treaties or not and regardless of whether they have federal recognition or not. Both of the federally recognized tribes in this state, the Aquina and the Mashpee Wampanoag, have had their tribal sovereignty restricted and been denied the sovereign use of their own lands by settler governments. Earlier this year, the Trump administration, in an act of cruelty amidst the onset of COVID, attempted to disestablish the Mashpee Wampanoag Reservation. And these attempts are ongoing, even in the final days of the reign of Trump. The U.S. government also continues to deny federal recognition to other tribes in the region, such as the Massachusetts and Nipmuc, among others. Nevertheless, they continue to strengthen cultures and political sovereignty with or without federal recognition. Of course, tribal sovereignty is not just being challenged in this region. In Southern California and Arizona, for instance, Trump's border wall has been desecrating the sacred sites of the Kumeyaay Nation, the Tohono O'odham people, and many others. It's also been dividing these indigenous communities because the U.S.-Mexico border cuts through their lands. The immigrant pilgrim nation that is the United States has a short memory and is in denial of their own historical facts. This government is descended from the invaders who forcibly took our lands and resources from us, then denied us the use of our languages and cultures. Once again, we express our support for migrant communities targeted by ICE and ask the question, who's the illegal alien, Pilgrim? You're listening to Matoi Monroe, co-leader of the United American Indians of New England. In the various discussions of so-called illegal immigrants, the settlers laud their own achievements, claiming that America is a nation of immigrants while ignoring the centuries of murder and violence perpetrated against black and native people by these same immigrants. We celebrate and applaud the tremendous efforts and victory of the indigenous majority in Bolivia, who were able to boot out the fascist, violent, U.S.-backed government that was installed last year. The people have made it possible for Evo Morales and others to return to their homeland. And when he was driven out of Bolivia by the fascist militia, Evo Morales said, 
I will return and I will be millions, and he meant it. We speak at a time of days of action sweeping across so-called Canada, from coast to coast, from the tiny house resistance and Gidimtan and Wet'suwet'en to six nations of the Grand River to Mi'kmaq homeland. All around the world, indigenous people continue to defend and protect their lands. It's really important for those of us who live here in the U.S. to show our solidarity with others in struggle and to bring public awareness to all indigenous struggles and all acts of violence against indigenous peoples, not just the ones occurring in North America. We are all united in our fight against settler colonialism. And we must remember that what happens to one of us happens to all of us. The residential school, school days may be over, but the Indian Child Welfare Act which should prevent our children from being stolen by non-native people, continues to be under attack. If the Indian Child Welfare Act is repealed, we could return to the grim time when thousands upon thousands of native children were taken from their homes to be adopted by white families. Already huge numbers of our kids are put into foster care. This is one reason why we say the genocide of indigenous peoples is ongoing, not something that happened in the past. Although Trump will soon be gone, and of course everyone is happy about that, <laughs> we will still not have anyone in the White House who's truly committed to working with indigenous people. The legacy will continue of underfunding programs, of denying our full rights to sovereignty, of supporting those who exploit the land rather than those who defend the land and water. We, co we come together at a time when people are terrified about climate collapse and the future, and there is so much suffering already. I want to say that individual actions are not going to save us when corporations and the U.S. military account for 70% of the world's pollution. Promoting a narrative of individual responsibility is not going to save us. Hoping that capitalism will get kinder will not save us. The Green New Deal is not enough to save us. Only by listening to indigenous people and dismantling the system that puts poverty before people will we be able to save the planet. Indigenous peoples have always been caretakers of the land, water, and the life thereon, despite intense efforts of settler governments to stop us from doing so. For generations, indigenous people have been warning about climate disaster. It's not too late to achieve some climate justice on this planet, but indigenous voices must be centered. One of many ways that people are working to center indigenous voices is through education and legislation. Here in Massachusetts, we have a Massachusetts indigenous legislative agenda that still has three bills before the state legislature. A bill to redesign the racist state flag and seal image, a bill to ban the use of Native American sports team mascots, and a bill to protect sacred Native heritage. There's a lot you can do to help us get those bills passed before the legislature adjourns in December 
you can go to maindigenousagenda.org for more information. We will continue to demand the abolition of Columbus Day and the celebration of Indigenous Peoples Day across the state and across this country. We will continue to demand that all representations of white supremacy come down, including changing the name of Faneuil Hall in Boston, which is named after a slave trader. I end with talking about land back again, something on the lips of many indigenous people. Treaties need to be honored. Lands need to be returned. There are ways to start the process of decolonizing the lands and to address climate collapse right now. First, ensure that no projects can go through any indigenous nation's land without free, prior, and informed consent. Second, take all of the land that's currently being mismanaged by all the settler governments, such as the national parks or the Amazon rainforest, and let indigenous nations manage that land. That would mean the restoration of millions of acres of our lands to us. It would also mean the end of the desecration of many sacred sites, such as the Black Hills or Sacred Oak Flat. Third, cancel all the leases, pipelines, mining, and corporate contracts, and let indigenous people decide what development should continue and what should not. I don't want anyone who hears this to feel like you should give up, despite how hard 2020 has been. We can fight together for climate justice. We can take care of each other and do our best to mask up and reduce the spread of this plague. We can end settler colonialism. We can reclaim our lands. We are not vanishing. We are not conquered. We are as strong as ever. That was Matoe Monroe, co-leader of the United American Indians of New England, the organization that sponsors the Day of Mourning every year. Okay, next we're going to hear from Samantha Maltes, who is a Quina, Wampanoag, and an indigenous rights activist. Hi, my name is Samantha Maltes, and I'm a member of the Wampanoag Nation of Aquinnah. Some of you may know me as the daughter of Chairwoman Cheryl Andrews Maltes. I actually have a first name. It is Samantha. I prefer to go by that. Um, And it is so good to be here today to talk to you all. It's so good to be able to speak my language on this land. So many generations went by without being able to do that. And for me to be able to speak to you all today, to see your faces in the most crazy circumstances, it's a blessing. So I want to thank the creator, thank all of you, and say katapatanamu, thank you all. So I'm... So I'm talking to you today a little bit about me and a little bit about the work that I do as an indigenous rights activist. So I'll start when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, I grew up in the Massachusetts public school curriculum. 
The Massachusetts public school curriculum brought me to Plymouth as a native child. They brought me here and they showed me the Plymouth Rock, the Mayflower replica, and brought me through Plymouth, Plymouth Plantation. Now mind you, in the summertime, I was dancing on the powwow trail, but in the fall, I would come back to my classroom and make cardboard turkeys and fake headdresses in the fall. That transition for me was really difficult, and that's why I understand that words matter. The way we talk about Thanksgiving in our education system, it matters, because it impacts Native students like me, Native students around the country, and everyone's idea of what Native people are today. That's where the initiative for my campaign, Hashtag Mayflowers Kill, comes from. Um, I'm a consultant for an international indigenous rights organization called Survival International. And you're probably wondering what uh, the idea of the Mayflower history has to do with indigenous rights. So I'll tell you, because I get this comment a lot on our posts. And we post content that is just uh, quotes and stories from Native people to express how they feel about this history. And I get comments and I get DMs from um, certain individuals who ask me, you know, why can't, why can't you just leave the past in the past? Like, move on, it's been 400 years. And I love that question so much because it's just dripping with ignorance and fragility. Because the reason we can't leave the past in the past is for all the reasons we've said already on the stage today. Tribes are still fighting for tribal sovereignty. We're still fighting for our land back. We're still fighting for our culture and our language and our religion and our traditions so that we can come to places like this, speak to you all, and get our message out around the world so that we have visibility. We're still fighting that fight, and that's why we can't leave the past in the past. The history of the Mayflower is very real and very present. It's our present and our future and it's impacting us every day. Contact and colonialism impacts us every single day. And it's not just here, it's not just Plymouth or Massachusetts or New England, it's impacting Indian country around, around the country. Tribes are fighting, like we said, for their self-determination, their sovereignty, in the courtroom, on the front lines, in front of pipelines that are cutting through traditional burial grounds and sacred sites, and we're fighting this fight in the classroom, asking for people to listen to us and center indigenous voices in the education that we teach about Thanksgiving. Hashtag Mayflowers Kill is a movement more than it is just a campaign. And it's related to so much more than just history. It's related to so much more than just history because the past isn't in the past. It's happening still. Not only are tribes still fighting for our rights, but it's happening around the world. Modern day Mayflowers exist. Colonialism still exists, and tribes are still fighting in the most rural parts of the world. Pla places like the Adaman Islands, West Papua, in Africa, and in the Amazon, there are tribes that are still facing the threat of extractive industries, of um, problematic governments that refuse to recognize the rights of the indigenous people that claim to their lands. That's why this history is so important, and that's why we need to understand that we still must talk about it because you can't just leave the past in the past. Across the Amazon, there are about 100 uncontacted tribes. 
There's uncontacted tribes there, West Ad the Adaman Islands and West Papua. These uncontacted tribes are struggling right now because the threat of COVID-19 is so severe there that the idea of a single evangelical missionary or minor could wipe out an entire group of people. That's an entire culture lost, an entire generation of humans who will cease to exist just because these governments and these people don't understand that According to the United Nations and every other human rights organization, tribes have the right to self-determination. They have the right to remain uncontacted. And that's why the Mayflower history is so relevant today. Because until we understand this history from an indigenous perspective and listen to native people when we say that it's still happening and that the impacts were tragic, it'll, st it'll continue to happen everywhere in the world. And so I just want to remind you all to remember that history matters, language matters, and the past is not just part of the past. Katapatash, thank you everyone. Katapatanamu. There's an amazing lineup of events for today, so I'm just really grateful to be able to speak to you all. And yeah, aho. You are listening to speakers at the 51st Annual Commemoration of the National Day of Mourning from Plymouth, Massachusetts. And you've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in at 9.30 a.m. on the second Saturday of every month here at WPKN 89.5 FM for more environmental news you can use. <laughs>